Chapters 85 through 88 of the Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by P. Pats. The Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Volume 1. Translated by John Eddington Simons. Chapters 85 through 88 My sickness had been of such a very serious nature that it seemed impossible for me to fling it off. That worthy man, Maestro Francesco da Norcia, redoubled his efforts and brought me every day fresh remedies, trying to restore strength to my miserable, unstrung frame. Yet all these endeavours were apparently insufficient to overcome the obstinacy of my malady, so that the physicians were in despair and at their wit's end. What to do? I was tormented by thirst, but had abstained from drinking for many days according to the doctor's orders. Felice, who thought he had done wonders in restoring me, never left my side. That old man ceased to give so much annoyance, yet sometimes he appeared to me in dreams. One day, Felice had gone out of doors, leaving me under the care of a young apprentice and a servant-maid called Beatrice. I asked the apprentice what had become of my lad, Cencio, and what was the reason why I had never seen him in attendance on me. The boy replied that Cencio had been far more ill than I was, and that he was even at death's door. Felice had given them orders not to speak to me of this. On hearing the news, I was exceedingly distressed. Then I called the maid Beatrice, a Pistoian girl, and asked her to bring me a great crystal water cooler which stood near, full of clear and fresh water. She ran at once and brought it to me full. I told her to put it to my lips adding that if she let me take a draught according to my heart's content, I would give her a new gown. This maid had stolen from me certain little things of some importance, and in her fear of being detected, she would have been very glad if I had died. Accordingly, she allowed me twice to take as much as I could of the water, so that in good earnest I swallowed more than a flask full. I then covered myself and began to sweat and fell into a deep sleep. After I had slept about an hour, Felice came home and asked the boy how I was getting on. He answered, I do not know. Beatrice brought him that cooler full of water and he has drunk almost the whole of it. I don't know now whether he is alive or dead. They say that my poor friend was on the point of falling to the ground. So grieved was he to hear this. Afterwards he took an ugly state and began to beat the serving girl with all his might, shouting out, Ah, traitress, you have killed him for me then. While Felice was cudgeling and she screaming, I was in a dream. I thought the old man held ropes in his hand. And while he was preparing to bind me, Felice had arrived and struck him with an axe, so that the old man fled exclaiming, Let me go, and I promise not to return for a long while. 
Beatrice, in the meantime, had run into my bedroom, shrieking loudly. This woke me up, and I called out, Leave her alone! Perhaps when she meant to do me harm, she did me more good than you were able to do with all your efforts. She may indeed have saved my life, so lend me a helping hand, for I have sweated, and be quick about it. Felice recovered his spirits, dried and made me comfortable, and I, being conscious of a great improvement in my state, began to reckon on recovery. When Maestro Francesco appeared and saw my great improvement, and the servant girl in tears, and the apprentice running to and fro, and Felice laughing, all this disturbance made him think that something extraordinary must have happened which had been the cause of my amendment. Just then, the other doctor, Bernardino, put in his appearance, who at the beginning of my illness had refused to bleed me. Maestro Francesco, that most able man, exclaimed, Oh, power of nature! She knows what she requires, and the physicians know nothing. That simpleton, Maestro Bernardino, made answer saying, If he had drunk another bottle, he would have been cured upon the spot. Maestro Francesco da Norcia, a man of age and great authority, said, That would have been a terrible misfortune, and would to God that it may fall on you. Afterwards he turned to me, and asked if I could have drunk more water. I answered, No because I had entirely quenched my thirst. Then he turned to Maestro Bernardino and said, Look you how nature has taken precisely what she wanted, neither more nor less. In like manner, she was asking for what she wanted when the poor young man begged you to bleed him. If you knew that his recovery depended upon his drinking two flasks of water, why did you not say so before? You might then have boasted of his cure. At these words, the wretched quack sulkily departed and never showed his face again. Maestro Francesco then gave orders that I should be removed from my room and carried to one of the hills there are in Rome. Cardinal Cornaro, when he heard of my improvement, had me transported to a place of his on Monte Cavallo. The very evening, I was taken with great precautions in a chair, well wrapped up and protected from the cold. No sooner had I reached the place than I began to vomit, during which there came from my stomach a hairy worm, about a quarter of a cubit in length. The hairs were long, and the worm was very ugly, speckled of diverse colors, green, black, and red. They kept and showed it to the doctor, who said he had never seen anything of the sort before, and afterwards remarked to Felice, Now take care of your benvenuto, for he is cured. Do not permit him any irregularities, for though he has escaped this time, Another disorder now would be the death of him. You see his malady has been so grave that if we had brought him the extreme unction, we might not have been in time.
Now I know that with a little patience and time, he will leave to execute more of his fine works. Then he turned to me and said, My benvenuto, be prudent, commit no excesses, and when you are quite recovered, I beg you to make me a Madonna with your own hand, and I will always pay my devotions to it for your sake. This I promised to do, and then asked him whether it would be safe for me to travel so far as to Florence. He advised me to wait till I was stronger, until we could observe how nature worked in me. Chapter 86 When eight days had come and gone, my amendment was so slight that life itself became almost a burden to me. Indeed, I had been more than fifty days in that great suffering. So I made my mind up and prepared to travel. My dear Felice and I went toward Florence in a pair of baskets. And as I had not written, when I reached my sister's house, she wept and laughed over me all in one breath. That day, many friends came to see me. Among others, Pierre Landi who was the best and dearest friend I ever had. Next day, there came a certain Niccolo da Monte Aguto, who was also a very great friend of mine. Now he had heard the Duke say, Benvenuto would have done much better to die, because he is come to put his head into a noose, and I will never pardon him. Accordingly, when Niccolo arrived, he said to me in desperation, Alas, my dear Benvenuto, what have you come to do here? Did you not know what you have done to displease the Duke? I have heard him swear that you were thrusting your head into a halter. Then I replied, Niccolò, remind His Excellency that Pope Clement wanted to do as much to me before, and quite as unjustly. Tell him to keep his eye on me, and give me time to recover. Then I will show His Excellency that I have been the most faithful servant he will ever have in all his life. And for as much as some enemy must have served me, this bad turn through envy, let him wait till I get well, for I shall then be able to give such an account of myself as will make him marvel. This bad turn had been done me by Giorgetto Vassellario of Arezzo, the painter, perchance in recompense for many benefits conferred on him. I had harbored him in Rome and provided for his costs while he had turned my whole house upside down, for the man was subject to a species of dry scab, which he was always in the habit of scratching with his hands. It happened then that sleeping in the same bed as an excellent workman named Manno, who was in my service, when he meant to scratch himself, he tore the skin from one of Manno's legs with his filthy claws, the nails of which he never used to cut. The said Manno left my service and was resolutely bent on killing him. I made the quarrel up and afterwards got Giorgio into Cardinal de' Medici's household, and continually helped him. For these deserts, then, he told Duke Alessandro that I had abused His Excellency, 
and had bragged I meant to be the first to leap upon the walls of Florence with his foes the exiles. These words, as I afterwards learned, had been put into Vasari's lips by the excellent fellow Ottaviano de' Medici, who wanted to revenge himself for the Duke's irritation against him on account of the coinage and my departure from Florence. I, being innocent of the crime falsely ascribed to me, felt no fear whatever. Meanwhile, that able physician Francesco da Montevarchi attended to my cure with great skill. He had been brought by my very dear friend Luca Martini, who passed the larger portion of the day with me. Chapter 87 During this, while I had sent my devoted comrade Felice back to Rome to look after our business there, when I could raise my head a little, from the bolster, which was at the end of fifteen days, although I was unable to walk upon my feet, I had myself carried to the place of the Medici and placed upon the little upper terrace. There they seated me to wait until the Duke went by. Many of my friends at court came up to greet me and expressed surprise that I had undergone the inconvenience of being carried in that way. While so shattered by illness, they said that I ought to have waited till I was well, and then to have visited the Duke. A crowd of them collected, all looking at me as a sort of miracle, not merely because they had heard that I was dead, but far more because I had the look of a dead man. Then publicly before them all, I said how some wicked scoundrel had told my lord the duke that I had bragged I meant to be the first to scale his excellency's walls, and also that I had abused him personally, wherefore I had not the heart to leave or die till I had purged myself of that infamy, and found out who the audacious rascal was who had uttered such calumnies against me. At these words, a large number of those gentlemen came round, expressing great compassion for me. One said one thing, one another, and I told them I would never go thence before I knew who had accused me. At these words, Maestro Agostino, the Duke's tailor, made his way through all those gentlemen and said, If that's all you want to know, you shall know it. At this very moment, Giorgio the painter, whom I have mentioned, happened just then to pass, and Maestro Agostino exclaimed, There is the man who accused you. Now you know yourself if it be true or not. As fiercely as I could, not being able to leave my seat, I asked Giorgio if it was true that he had accused me. He denied that it was so and that he had ever said anything of the sort. Maestro Agostino retorted, You gallows bird, don't you know that I know it for most certain? Giorgio made off as quickly as he could, repeating that he had not accused me. Then after a short while, the Duke came by, whereupon I had myself raised up before His Excellency, and he halted. I told him that I had come therein that way solely in order 
to clear my character. The duke gazed at me and marveled I was still alive. Afterwards, he bade me take heed to be an honest man and regain my health. When I reached home, Niccolo da Monte Aguto came to visit me and told me that I had escaped one of the most dreadful perils in the world. Quite contrary to all his expectations, for he had seen my ruin written with indelible ink. Now I must make haste to get well, and afterwards take French leave, because my jeopardy came from a quarter and a man who was able to destroy me. He then said, Beware, and added, What displeasure have you given to that rascal Ottaviano de Medici? I answered that I had done nothing to displease him, but that he had injured me and told him all the affair about the mint. He repeated, Get hence as quickly as you can, and be of good courage, for you will see your vengeance executed sooner than you expect. I, the best attention to my health, gave Pietro Pagolo advice about stamping the coins, and then went off upon my way to Rome without saying a word to the duke or anybody else. Chapter 88 When I reached Rome and had enjoyed the company of my friends a while, I began the duke's medal. I finished the head in steel, and it was the finest work of the kind which I had ever produced. At least once every day there came to visit me a sort of blockhead named Messer Francesco Soderini. When he saw what I was doing, he used frequently to exclaim, Barbarous wretch! You want them to immortalize that ferocious tyrant? You have never made anything so exquisite, which proves you our inveterate foe and their devoted friend. And yet the Pope and he have had it twice in mind to hang you without any fault of yours. That was the father and the son. Now beware of the Holy Ghost. It was firmly believed that Duke Alessandro was the son of Pope Clement. Messer Francesco used also to say and swear by all his saints that if he could, he would have robbed me of the dies for that medal. I responded that he had done well to tell me so, and that I would take such care of them that he should never see them more. I now sent to Florence to request Lorenzino that he would send me the reverse of the medal. Niccolò da Monteaguto, to whom I had written, wrote back, saying that he had spoken to that mad, melancholy philosopher Lorenzino for it. He had replied that he was thinking night and day of nothing else, and that he would finish it as soon as he was able. Nevertheless, I was not to set my hopes upon his reverse, but I had better invent one out of my own head, and when I had finished it, I might bring it without hesitation to the Duke, for this would be to my advantage. I composed the design of a reverse which seemed to me appropriate and pressed the work forward to my best ability. 
Not being, however, yet recovered from that terrible illness, I gave myself frequent relaxation by going out on fowling expeditions with my friend Felice. This man had no skill in my art, but since we were perpetually day and night together, everybody thought he was a first-rate craftsman. This being so, as he was a fellow of much humour, we used often to laugh together about the great credit he had gained. His name was Felice Guadagni Gain, which made him say in jest, I should be called Felice Gain, little. If you had not enabled me to acquire such credit, then I can call myself Gain much. I replied that there are two ways of gaining. The first is that by which one gains for oneself. The second that by which one gains for others. So I praised him much more for the second than the first, since he had gained for me my life. We often held such conversations, but I remember one in particular on the day of Epiphany, when we were together near La Maliana. It was close upon nightfall, and during the day I had shot a good number of ducks and geese. Then, as I had almost made my mind up, to shoot no more that time, we were returning briskly toward Rome, calling to my dog by his name, Barucco, and not seeing him in front of me, I turned round and noticed that the well-trained animal was pointing at some geese which had settled in the ditch. I therefore dismounted at once, got my fowling piece ready, and at a very long range, brought two of them down with a single ball. I never used to shoot with more than one ball and was usually able to hit my mark at 200 cubits, which cannot be done by other ways of loading. Of the two geese, one was almost dead and the other, though badly wounded, was flying lamely. My dog retrieved the one and brought it to me. But noticing that the other was diving down into the ditch, I sprang forward to catch it. Trusting to my boots which came high up the lake, I put one foot forward. It sank in the oozy ground, and so, although I got the goose, the boot of my right leg was full of water. I lifted my foot and let the water run out. Then, when I had mounted, we made haste for Rome. The cold, however, was very great, and I felt my leg freeze, so that I said to Felice, We must do something to help this leg, for I don't know how to bear it longer. The good Felice, without a word, leapt from his horse, and gathering some thistles and bits of stick, began to build a fire. I, meanwhile, was waiting and put my hands among the breast feathers of the geese, and felt them very warm. So I told him not to make the fire, but filled my boot with the feathers of the goose, and was immediately so much comforted that I regained vitality. End of chapters 85 through 88 of the Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Volume 1 Recording by P. Pat